It's always such a joy to have you. Thank you, dear. And uh, honored, honored to be here. And thanks to everybody who has popped in for a bit. Yes, we've had a few, a little pop in there. So for those of you who don't know, it'd be hard to know who wouldn't know. But Paul Young has come to visit us, the author of The Shack and Eve and Lies We Believe About God and Pick a Card, Any Card, because there are many to choose from and they're all brilliant and lovely and life-giving. <laughs> So. Thank you. But just just to set the record straight, there are, are billions who don't know. So I guess. Well, <laughs> not not in, not in my little circle, but that's uh, so people get to get to meet you. Just a fabulous human being, nice. regardless of uh, authorship and all the brilliant Thank things you. done. <laughs> so we were having a discussion, uh, a really brief sort of text discussion about kind of the what happens when we say no to love uh, in the universe and sort of how does, why does evil happen? Why is all the crazy that we're seeing that can be so overwhelming? Why is that happening when we have such a good God, a powerful God and how do we make sense of it and how do we navigate? Uh, And you have some brilliant insights and um, life experiences and feel free to dive in anytime. (laughs) <laughs> okay, let's say first that this is a, a monumental topic that has been bandied about by philosophers and theologians and pretty much everybody for centuries. So it's, it's, it's not like we're going to easily resolve it. So these are, these are thoughts and comments um, that have uh, helped me comprehend uh, pieces of this conversation and and made made them more palatable but it's also changed the way i look at what it means to be a human being and in fact it's it's greatly raised my respect not only for god but also for being human and uh and you know we are such addicts for control that when we talk about god being powerful it's like we want God to be in control, you know, not of my choices, but those people's choices. Right. <laughs> Everyone yeah. else. Yeah, because they're, they're sort of. Obey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, the, and the thing about this is, is when you start to deal with relationship, things get full of mystery and get very nuanced. You know, it's not a flat conversation. It's not a conversation in which. Um, you can make another person do what you think they, they should be doing or supposed right. to do. Right. Um, raise children. I mean, that'll raise a teenager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that'll knock the stuffing out of you. It's very humbling. It's, it's very humbling. And yet there is a reality that underlies it that is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. And that is if love is to exist, then both the yes and the no must be respected. And, um, you know, I, I suppose that love, God, could have created a universe in which everything worked by natural law. You know, it was just built in. It was just part of the mathematics. And, 
And, and, and he could have created human beings who didn't know that it was natural law that right. thought that they were making free will choices. And, and, um, but, but in that scenario, there's no love right? because there's no capacity to say no. And uh, I think right from the Garden of Eden in that, in that story, there is built in the possibility of saying no which becomes absolutely essential for love. Because wow. if your no doesn't matter, your yes doesn't matter either. That, that, is, that is so deep. Uh, and the fact that God is responsive and interested and submits to our yes and our no says something so deep about who he is and about who we are. That uh, it's It's... It's kind of mind blowing. My people, which are basically modern evangelicals, Mm -hmm. fundamentalists, they have a really hard time with the idea that God submits. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, I come from a position of thought now that is called relational Trinitarianism. It's a big word and big, two big words, but it, it just means that God has never been alone. That in the oneness, in the singularity of the of the person or the nature of God, there are three persons in face to face relationship, and um, and and they never lose lose their personhood, and yet they still are in the great dance of face to face mutuality and mutual submission. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a hard time with that because we want the omnipotence of God being about power. Mm-hmm. And and whereas you look at the life of Jesus, power is about laying your life down, right? Which is a really difficult thing. I'm powered to self control. I'm empowered to. I'm empowered to love, which looks like I pour out rather than yeah. dictate. Yeah, those who lose their lives will find it, right? Those. So it's about it's about laying our lives down and. Only on that basis can God ever, Jesus could ever, Paul the Apostle could ever say, submit one to another, mm-hmm. you know, or this is the kind of love. It's a love that lays down its life mm-hmm. for another. So it's other-centered, self-giving, self-sacrificial, co-suffering love. Mm-hmm. It's not some romantic idea. Um, it's actually based on knowing. And since there is a God who knows you completely, and dwells in you completely, then, then this is a God who, on the basis of knowing, completely loves you. And this, and this God, this love, does not have any expectations because he knows you. To have an expectation means that there's something you don't know, that you're demanding. Mm. And uh, so this is a God who has no expectations. Therefore, this is a God who never is disappointed. Thank you. You have to you have to have an expectation to be disappointed. Exactly. And and it doesn't mean that God does not grieve with us the damage that we do and the choices that we make, because our choices actually matter. And and part of what happens with choice is that we experience the consequences of that personal agency. Mm-hmm. And God protects that personal agency. Because if God ever made one decision for you, mm-hmm. then love ceased to exist everywhere. And yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. So, I mean, so basically you're saying that 
that God's premium is love instead of power or justice, or his premium is love because that's who he is. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the better way to say it. God is love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And therefore God does loving things, but God is by nature love. And what kind of love? Other centered, self-giving, self-sacrificial, um, co-suffering. That, that is, and, and we define it that way because that's exactly how we see Jesus live his life. He's not self-centered. He's not all concerned about himself. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to be self-actualized. He actually trusts the love that he has embraced within. Wow. And, uh, you know. It's humanity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, completely. So I do nothing. I say nothing unless I hear the father say it. And that's not some kind of dictation. That's a relationship in which he constantly submits. And, um, and again, it's not coercive. It is, it is trusting. It is completely given over to trust, which is so hard for us, especially those of us who've been deeply wounded, you know, and, and so we have, um, we have an imagination of who God is and God is fundamentally not trustworthy. Hmm. And I'm saying, then don't trust that God. If, if you have an imagination of God who is cruel, who's dictatorial, who is vengeful, who is re, uh, retributive and punitive. Or absent, um, right? Or, or absent. Or, or un, unfeeling or... Uninvolved, right? Yes. And, um, and doesn't care, is a force, mm-hmm. is a force who has left. Um, or even if God is a, a personal force and has just left and said, well. Good luck with good that. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. I did my part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, now, now it's completely up to you. But we don't see that. We see, we see God submitting to a 15-year-old Palestinian refugee and saying, that, you know, I, I can see in my mind's eye, my, my imagination, and I can see a gathering of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and Mary and going, you know, this is what we would like to do. What do you think? And it's, it is submission. It is respect. And, and Mary goes, says, be it done unto me. Trust. And um, trust. Yep. Yeah. Trust. Not knowing, and, not knowing, like, what is this all about? But knowing some of the consequences. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, what are the consequences for Joseph? What are the consequences for the family? What are the consequences for the, for the times? And she doesn't know the depth of what's going to happen. Exactly. She, she trusts the word, the word of God. And the word of God now becomes enfleshed in her uh, without the will of a man or the flesh of a man, of a male without the will of a male or the flesh of a male. So, so it is a fully human, fully God person who is birthed within her. And she, she carries that baby who is subject to all the potential damages and losses of any baby and fully. Jo- and, and what's amazing is the gospel of John starts off saying that this little baby is in this little 
one was created the entire cosmos. Not anything that has come into being has come into being apart from him. And so you got a little baby nursing at the breast of Mary in whom she lives and moves and has her being. But he has left aside everything that marks that divinity and is living as a full human being and, and is a baby and is a toddler and falls and slips. Baby toddler stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. As, and child stuff and, yes. and working, working out what this all means mm-hmm. in, in the same way that we do. Right. That's- and so, and, and, and you have a God, uh, if we're talking about a God who submits, let's, let's use our own lives. Let's use my life. I made some terrible mistakes and I hurt and harmed people horribly in my life. I was a habitual liar. I had addictions. And God submitted to those things, not because they were good, but because he is love. Mm-hmm. And and still stayed in me as he dwells in every single human being. Thank you. And and lived in me, work lives in my imagination, lives in my will, lives in my intellect, lives in my body, lives in my uh, creativity, lives you know in every part of me. Even lives in the darkness, but is light in that darkness constantly warring against it on my behalf because well, you're, I am you're saying no to him because you don't trust him in or, those areas. Yeah. Right. Or I don't want him to, right. I don't want the relationship. I, right. I want my autonomy. Right. I, I want my will. Your own God. Yep. Yep. I mean, there's a thousand reasons and, um, and you're right. It could be because I've been so harmed in my life that I don't trust anyone any personal. So it's easier to go like, oh, yeah, I believe in love because love is just a force. Right. So now I'm still in charge. Right. Right. And now I need to use that force in order to accomplish those things that I want. And it could be very benevolent or it could be very evil. Mm-hmm. And yet the presence of a God who loves me because love can't exist without personality. Yeah. You know, yeah. love is not a force. If it were a force, we are greater than love. Some, you know, right? Personality who has that force is the one who's powerful. And it's like, who wants to love a force? My love for my children is relationship with a force. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. May the force be with you, right? I'm sorry. And that's about power, Mm -hmm. right? It's not about relationship. And let me tell you, relationship matters more than power, you know, and, and you may not think so until you have a baby, uh, which is an absolute confrontation. You may not think so until, even until if you, if you are setting yourself to be alone, you may not think so until you have a pet dog. Right. Who absolutely adores you. Exactly. Right. And so it's not about power, even in that level of relationship, the relationship matters, you know, or a a partner Mm -hmm. or, you know, and power, it becomes an impediment to relational intimacy. It just does. 
and uh, part part of a covenant as opposed to a contract. Contracts are about power, right? Mm-hmm. Covenants are about love, and and in a covenant, you are committing yourself to never make the other the enemy, ever. Wow. You are committing yourself to make the enemy everything that prevents relational intimacy. That's the enemy. And if it's in me, I want to go after it. If it's in you, I want to help you go after it. But you're not the enemy. But in a contract, you know, you start violating the rules of the contract and suddenly we have remedies. You know, it's all about the law, right? And whoever has the power. Wow. No. So in that context, um, wow, this is good. So in that context, how would you wrap your mind around evil in the world? Yeah, uh, the scripture is pretty clear. Through one male, mm-hmm. brokenness entered the cosmos. Mm-hmm. So evil, and here's our problem with the, taking a look at, at the character of God. A lot of times those who come from my traditions, you know, which are Christian traditions, they have a real mm, bipolar God, mm-hmm. right? Either you have God the Father as one kind of character and Jesus has, as another, or you have the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, mm-hmm. that we have the scriptures seeming to reveal a God who is mean, vengeful, retributive, killer of babies, on and on, killer of people. And then you have Jesus, who is sort of, sort of um, in, um, intermission, right? <laughs> because well, we'll then, for the next chapter of judgment to strike us down. So then we have Revelation. We're back to the God that really is there, right? The bigger God than Jesus. Jesus says things like, you know, turn the other cheek and and uh, do no harm and be good to those who are. Uh, Love who your enemies. To, yeah, that kind of stuff, you know. And it's like, well, that's that's good for you, Jesus. I'm going back to the mean SOB God because that's, you know, that's about power. The real God, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. And um, and so they they look at their scriptures and they can just, I mean, you can look at scriptures and justify any God you want to believe in. Sure, for sure. The thing that's different is Jesus. And, and when you look the at the outlier. life. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so Jesus yeah. is like, you've seen me, you've seen the father. Yeah. Therefore, you begin to interpret the scriptures through the person of Jesus. Wow. You don't, you don't interpret Jesus through the scriptures. Yes. Right. And that's massive. And, and one of the big mistakes that we did is we confused the word of God for what we call the Bible, the written word, the scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and Jesus himself says, you're looking at scripture as if it, ha- if it contains eternal life, it doesn't, right. I'm the way, the truth and the life. You know, this is the revelation of God. Um, uh, I and the Father are one, which is because if you break the Trinity into different personalities and ter- that's okay. Mm-hmm. But if you make them different in terms of their essential nature, mm-hmm. you've ripped the whole nature of God into pieces. So <sighs> evil is a denial of that which is love, the good the true, the beautiful, the right. 
And here's the funny thing. Every human being that I've met, and I know a bunch of friends on death row, none of them want to be evil. That's not their core desire. Right. They want to be good. They want to be right. They want to be a truth teller. They're just locked in so much bondage and garbage and addiction Mm -hmm. and need for safety that they don't know how to get out of it. But if you get to the deepest places of their own longings, it's not to do evil. So where did evil originate? Well, it didn't originate in the snake in the Eden story. It didn't originate in the woman, for sure. It originates in the man, Adam. And so where I see it in Genesis is there's a series of of declarations about the goodness of creation. Mm -hmm. This part of the creation is good. This part of the creation is good. Good, good, good. Very good that God makes the human being, not just commands its existence, Mm -hmm. but fashions it and then breathes into that human being the breath, the life of God the spirit, right? And so you've got a being that is made in the, in the very likeness and image of God. And we're told later that the likeness and image of God is Jesus. So we're created in Christ right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're created to be dwelt in by the very being of God so that Our life cannot exist apart from that union. And then what does Adam do? It says, there's a statement. It is not good. So in this series of goods, very goods, you get to, it is not good. And first, not good. First, not good. Yeah. And one of the fundamental questions is, does God, God create anything that is not good? He's already declared, this is very good. Right. And the first not good is, it is not good that Adam be in his separation. Now you need to realize that the woman has not been drawn out of him yet. And so he, and he's, he's like, he's not, this is not about, well, I'm being alone and God didn't create a woman for me. And you know, this is not about that. Mm -hmm. This is about turning away from love. From the one that he was walking in the cool of the day with, right? Yeah, the cool of the day is actually Ruach. Right, yes. That's in the the Holy Spirit, (laughs) you know? So, and and the Lord God are two persons, Mm -hmm. you know? They're two different words. We have Father, Son, and Spirit. Right in that scene. And he's not alone, Mm -hmm. but he has separated himself. And and I don't know, it doesn't tell. Yeah. Yeah, he's... When you turn from light, Mm -hmm. you cast a shadow. That shadow does not exist until you turn from light. And now that shadow, inside that shadow, you begin to define everything. Who is God? Well, out of that darkness, you begin to say, well, God is not trustworthy. God is not good. God is the enemy. You know, and so in, in the snake scene, the snake doesn't deceive Adam. The snake represents Adam's accusation against God and Adam deceives Eve. Right. And so there's a whole different scenario going on there. And, uh, and and the women is deceived. So thoroughly deceived. It never says Adam's deceived Mm -hmm. to turn away. And, uh, and we can go into that, but again, where does evil originate? It originates in Adam's declaration of separation. 
We're not separated. We've never been separated. And now Adam, even though he's separated, he's not separated. He is alienated. He has alienated himself Mm -hmm. by turning his face away. Mm -hmm. And that's why the very next verses are, well, let's see if there is a face to face. And all the animals come. There's no face to face. Then she is drawn out of him to be a face to face. And he's the one that then deceives her. And then Adam is escorted out of of the garden so he can work the grounds from which he was created or made. And the warning to her is even though there will be a descendant, a seed that will finally crush this accusation, because the accusation by Adam is you are not good. This is all your fault. The woman you gave me, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that accusation. So he's escorted out. She stays The warning to her is when you turn to to the man, Mm -hmm. he he will rule over you. Mm -hmm. And um, so instead of face to face with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, she eventually, I mean, how else are you going to have a descendant, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, how how could a virgin birth happen? Like, you know, without a man being involved? And so that becomes absolutely essential in the, in the story of Jesus. She, she, there is a sense that it didn't happen. So in that sense, it wouldn't have happened. But that if she had stayed in a trustworthy face-to-face, that she could have been Mary in that mm-hmm. scenario mm-hmm. and had, had the child who would crush right. the serpent's head. So anyway, it originates with the man. It then proliferates through the cosmos. We're the ones that bring the brokenness. Mm. And Jesus is then called the second Adam. But the slaying of Jesus, that was understood to be a reality, a chosen reality by God from the very beginning of the cosmos. And slain, right? Absolutely. The answer came before the problem. Yeah. How masterful is God? Yeah. Yeah. And, And it just tells you that there's no way to create a universe where people, persons have personal agency and they won't say no. Right. If if there was a way to do it, we would be in it. Right. So people say, well, for all the catastrophes and for all the damage that we've done, for all the abuse of babies and children, Mm -hmm. for all the betrayals, wouldn't it have been better if God had not created? And the answer is no. And I ask, I ask my friends who have little children, and I was asking one one day, and he was all upset by this very question. Right, right. And he was he was dealing with it theologically or intellectually, going right. like, mm-hmm. you know, for all the damage that we've done in the world, wouldn't it have been better? And and at the same time, he has two little girls, and they were bickering about something, <laughs> and um, so he's he's trying to trying to intervene in their fighting. And he's frustrated about it. And he, t- yeah. he tells me, he says, wouldn't it have been, you know, wouldn't it, if they could only understand how beautiful they are and the nature of the other person that they're fighting with, how beautiful they are. And I said, well, maybe it would have been better if they'd never been born. And he looks at me w- with absolute horror, <laughs> you know, because he loves those children. Of course. And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, that's the answer to your question. Wouldn't it? Because 
because it's no longer an intellectual question. It's a real relational question. question. Yeah. So we choose our kids and we just choose our kids. And that's the end of the discussion, right? And God has chosen his kids and God submits to the stupidity and the blindness and the darkness that we live within. And he works redemption inside of that, which is miraculous. God is at work inside every single human being on the planet in order to restore, right? That's why, that's why the picture of judgment was not a courtroom picture. It was a doctor hospital picture. You know, the doctor judges us to, to help us figure out what's wrong Heal us, yeah. Mm-hmm. in order to prescribe, which is the punishment, right? You have to take this medication or have chemo or whatever. That's the punishment. But the whole intention is to heal you. Isn't that beautiful? To do no harm, which the staff with the serpent, yeah. right? Yeah. That's the redemption of the snake and the tree in the garden. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. on the hospital doctor model. It says do no harm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and been there since what Aeschylus and, but it's, it's based on that story and it is the redemption. And so that little, that one snake in the garden with all of its accusations Mm -hmm. against the goodness of God, which were Adam's accusation Mm -hmm. in the wilderness become, you know, a thousand little snakes with a stinging, a sting that is killing the people mm-hmm. and, and to heal them, there is a, there is a cross that is driven into the ground and a snake that is put on it. Yeah. And that, yep. To redeem that whole thing. And Jesus is then referred to as that snake and referred to as the, the Satan. Jesus is called the Satan, you know, <laughs> are so, we confused? <laughs> Yeah, we're we're a little bit confused. We're a little confused. At at the center of everything is the goodness of God and the love of God for his children, which is every single person on the planet. And um, so, you know, if we get if we get to the degree, because we all get it wrong to some degree, to the degree that we don't understand the beauty and the goodness of God, to that degree, we won't understand what it means to be human. Boy, and that's so I, well, you've helped me with so many things. I I think the, the elevation, like God's regard for his kids, our humanity is breathtaking. And I think a lot of us with this kind of Gnosticism, we want to escape the, the scene realm or our bodies or our flesh or whatever, is that there's something intrinsically evil in our humanity that God is finding it so precious. It's, the thing he's redeeming and submits to us in it becomes human like for eternity. We were designed to be bodily existing because that's my contact point with you, right? It's my contact point with my kids. It's, it's the outer courts, right? It's, it's without that, you don't have any connection with the cosmos, Yes. The and so, yes. yeah. And so we're designed to exist in bodily form. It's just that the corruption that we've influenced into the planet, you know, it's like, so COVID did God, I had this conversation with a bunch of my grandkids and I said to him, I love it. <laughs> so did, did you think that God create created the virus, you know, the COVID mm-hmm. virus? And they went, no. And I said, well, where did it come from? They went, 
huh, Satan, right? right? And and I'm like, I don't know. I've never thought of the Satan being a creator, you know? And I said, so I'm kind of disagreeing with you. And and they were like, I said, let me tell you about viruses. If it weren't for viruses, we could not live on this planet. You know? True. This this. This planet would be one big microbial soup because part of what viruses do is they tear apart microbes. In fact, our water cycle is dependent on those little bits of microbes that are floating in the air because viruses took them apart. Wow. And, uh, and I said, so here's, here's the thing. And they go like, God created viruses? And I said, yeah, but we don't know how to love each other very well. And we don't know how to love the planet very well. And so these viruses have done, they've gone outside the boundaries because we put them outside the boundaries and, uh, and caused a whole bunch of harm. And um, so the, the root of this is because we don't know how to love, you know, and, and, and that's the truth. You know, a lot of the damage and the, you know, the, the terrible things that happen even in the natural order on this planet are because we don't know how to love each other. We don't know how to protect each other from living in places that are catastrophic to live in because of the existence of earthquake faults and volcanoes and all kinds of stuff, you know, and we don't care for each other well. And, you know, money has become our idol. And um, so, you know, there is, there is a lot that is laid at our feet. And then God in Jesus has joined us completely inside this mess mm-hmm. to begin to move us in a direction of redemption. It's not getting worse. It's actually getting better. Unless, you know, the news and the internet are your only sources of information. That's, that's, just, that's just it. So talk about this getting better. Let's bring some real... Um, happy things to the to the story where God is working in it to redeem all things to Himself to bring all things to Him. Yeah, even even in a in a global sense, who did? I wish I could pull it up. There, um, maybe I can. There is a a scientist who has taken a look at what has happened on the planet, and um, he has done some work in comparing, you know, uh, the past and the future. Um, uh, let me see if I can find him. Oh man, I can't. Anyway, he has, um, he's created this, this modular graph. It's in a, in, in a very beautiful way about life now versus life 150 years ago. And he's shown how it works, uh, how things have improved in terms of health, longevity, um, uh, economic stability, uh, the existence of wars and famines and all this. And the graph consistently has moved up, up and up and up. So even in terms of a global sense, we get, we get a sense that everything's catastrophic. Right. Right. And the actual data is no, it's actually contrary to that, that we are learning how to live with each other. We don't, yes, we had a pandemic, but it's nothing like the early 1900s and, and, um, Right. You know, and so just got more press, you know, right? Oh, and and if it bleeds, it leads. 
Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, and we're so fear oriented that we're much more susceptible to that kind of information. Right. And so we find our information, not in terms of all the beautiful things that are happening, right. not in terms of, you know, the advances in medicine. Mm-hmm. Well, we see those things are as our enemy too. You know, all of this variety across um, a multitude of indices, right? They are showing that we are, we are moving up. The number of people in poverty is actually less than it's been in a couple centuries, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so um, that is encouragement to keep doing the work. You know, the scientists are, whether they realize it or not, are indwelt by the love of God to move in the direction of wellness. Now, in their minds, they may get all twisted up with economics and, and um, funding and all those things, the fear of not having security or the need to have a name mm-hmm. or all of those things. All of those things that, oh, maybe some people in the church have issues with as well. Some. So, so I love <laughs> playing ground. Oh, yes. some is some. Yes. Are you kidding? Yes. I, I rarely run into people who are not owned by fear. Yes. You know? Fear is the dominant motivator in our world. Right. And we and think we have to self-protect, right? That's, we have yeah. To so, self-protect. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we create false identities and, and a false self is simply uh, a mask or a cover up or uh, a way that we present ourselves to the world. That's a false self and it needs to be destroyed. Because it's not who you truly are, but it, it embeds himself in things that are actually true about you so that you don't know anymore what's false or what's true. And a false self has to always self-promote and self-protect. That's what indicates it's there. So fear leads to a false persona. Mm-hmm. And then the evidence of it is they self-protect and self-promote, which always leads to violence, either on the inside or on the outside in thought, word, and deed. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. So, so when you see violence, you're dealing with personas or people who have so identified themselves with a nation state or politics or money or notoriety or platform or something, you know, so, yeah. so they're very susceptible and then they, you know, and, yeah. and then the mental illness side of things keeps pounding at them from the inside and they find out that notoriety is not enough. And it doesn't fill the holes. And, uh, and they, they feel the absence of love. They begin to, to believe the lies of it. And the easiest way to run away is, is self-harm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's terribly sad. It is. But it isn't, it isn't the actual overarching truth that has happened. There is a God who is moving the cosmos in the direction, one person, one choice at a time. From the inside out. From the inside out. Yeah. And, um, and it's having an impact slowly, mm-hmm. but surely. And that moves us toward the redemption of all things, which is the promise. That's the promise in scripture. Exactly. There, yeah. So I'm wow. good with that. Yeah. And, and, and as sons and daughters, we get to partner right where we're at, what he's doing in us, and then also helping one another. And loving one another yeah, and growing in that. Yeah. Even if we don't know we're sons and daughters, we are, we are still participating. Exactly. You know, and, yeah. yeah. 
you're not sons and daughters because you know you're a son and daughter. You're just a son and daughter, period. And yeah. the more you know it, the more you get to partner with that. With, with your eyes open. Yes. It, it's not about you get to partner more. I know a lot of people who don't have a clue that they are a child of God and are well-loved who live a life that is much more authentic to the character of God than a lot of religious people that I know. Yeah. Right. Yes. So, uh, to, you know, it, right. Cause you, you look around, it's like, wow, they're amazing. They're throwing, showing all this fruit and, but they're not a, a Jesus follower. So what's going on? Right? I know. You get well, so we, we, used to, we used to say that, well, the love they have for their children is not like real love. It's sort of fake love. You know, that's what our people used to say, because we couldn't deal with the fact that they were loving with the same love of God that we were loving right. with. And so there had to be something wrong about that love in their lives, you know, something fake about it. You know, you look at the three parables, the woman who loses the coin, the shepherd who goes and leaves the 99 to go find the one, and the father with the two sons, right? Yes. And a very simple question, or a few questions all basically the same, is for the woman who loses the coin, whose coin was it before she lost it? was hers. Hers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whose coin was it when it was lost? Still hers. <laughs> Whose coin was it when she found it? And it was still hers. <laughs> okay. The shepherd. Whose sheep was it when the sheep was lost? It was the shepherd's. Whose sheep was it when he found the sheep? It was the shepherd's. Whose sons were they always? Mm. Always the father's sons. Always the father's sons. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether they had turned their face away mm-hmm. uh, in terms of living a life that was damaging and harmful mm-hmm. or turned their face away because of religion mm-hmm. and because of because performance. Damaging and harmful. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. in those stories, the one at the end who still doesn't recognize that he's the father's son yeah. and, doesn't, and is still lost right. is the older brother, is the religious one. Right. Which is a statement of love to the Pharisees. Like, can't you see that you are loved? You don't need all this religion performance stuff in order to to be loved because you always have been loved and you've always been the father's son. And the father says it clearly. Don't you realize that you are my son? All of this belongs to you. Right. And you can almost hear the father's heartbreak for his son. It's like everything I have is yours. You've always, you've always said you could have had all the goats. (laughs) You can, they're all yours. Yes. They're all yours. So you don't, it's not in, not even you could have, it's like, they're all yours. And he's, he's like, oh, I still got to work my way and perform my way. And he's pissed off at the younger brother because the younger brother shouldn't have any of this. (laughs) Right. You don't deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us, you know, since we don't know who we are, the one that's lost, the sheep that's lost doesn't matter to us. You know, we're running toward the 99 because because they're we can have more followers that way on the Internet. Right. It's the one that doesn't matter. Yeah, it's the 99 that matters. And so, you know, we're us not. I mean, all of them, hundred hundred matter to the Lord, but he has the 99. It's the one. Yeah, the one doesn't get left out. Right. And every one of those hundred is the one also. Isn't that beautiful? Right. 
Right. And uh, and it just goes then to the sun. The sun's the one. This sun's the one. But this sun really has got his heels dug in and doesn't know. He doesn't know he's the one. And so, yeah, anyway. And it's it's so interesting because he kind of leaves the, 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 the parables left. We don't know the ending from the parable. Um, but we have hope for the turning, returning of the, the older brother. legalistic. Yeah. The religious one, as well as the returning of, of the prodigal. It's like, it, they're all, we all need to return and there are right. in our own selves that need to return. Right. We're, yeah. we're, 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 we're all learning and, and growing and returning at some level. And um, it tells you that the one who has the most trouble returning mm-hmm. is the one who thinks he already knows he's right. Yeah. You know, He is so sure that it gives him an ability to judge Mm -hmm. his brother who's outside Mm -hmm. um, on the basis that he is certain that his performance and his knowledge has made him enough. Mm. And the father says, you are my son. Don't you realize that's enough? That's your enoughness right there. Right there. And, you know, a lot of my people, they're, they're in pews, slaving away to acquire sonship, mm. right? You had. Right. And I did too for yeah, a lot too. of years. And I can get triggered and go back to that kind of hole. Mm-hmm. And when I judge other people, that's exactly what I'm doing. It's a hell hole. It is a hell hole. It is a hell hole. And it's hard to get out when you think you're right. But what's so beautiful about that is in our hellhole, there's God right there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because they live in you. you exactly. You know, Traveling that's, the, that's the Psalms. If I go to the depths of the ocean, there you are. Yeah. If I, if I go to the heights, yeah. damn it, there you are. And yeah. if, if I go down to the place of the dead, there you are. I can't get away from you. What's yeah. the deal? Right. Because you're my son, you, you can't right. even exist if I don't dwell in you. Exactly. Which is interesting because in some of the conversations I have with people and they're kind of grappling in their process and they, they have a need to have the ins and the outs and God may be everywhere, but he couldn't be inside the unbeliever. Um, right. And so, and it's like, I'm, I'm trying to say, it's not an inside issue. It's a, it's a believing issue. And so it's a healing issue. It's an awakening issue. How do you want to term it? But if God is in the midst of hell, by God, he's in every single one of his kids, whether they know it or not, whether they're clueless or not, whether they're serving Satan or not, whatever, they're Jesus there, can't help it. It's a thing. At one point, do you become a believer? Like, I still have lots of areas in my life that I struggled to believe, you know, so what's, what's the line? And we did a couple hundred years ago in the revivalist movements, we came up with the sinner's prayer. Mm-hmm. as if that was the, the crossing mark. So for you to ask, pray and ask, and I'm not negating that those things are real encounters with God, yeah. but they don't get you in. Exactly. What gets you in was the love of God that has always been there for you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what Christ did on the cross, you know, when he included you in everything. Yay. And, uh, and so, so, but we made that the dividing line. As well, the, what happens to the millions of people before we and we found that dividing line, right. you know, and you say believer, unbeliever, like 
what's actually the dividing line? Right. Exactly. You know, here's, here's the older brother who's done everything. Does that make him a believer? You know, he doesn't. He doesn't believe that he's the father's son. And the, so do, the other kid doesn't either. Right. He's, ho- I he's hoping. He's a servant, right? Yeah. He's going to go back and see if he can find a job. <laughs> so he doesn't know. It's the father that declares to him, you're my son. You've always been my son. Yeah. You can't and undeclare yourself. Well, you can undeclare, but that's just your. your that's opinion. alienation. And it's not separation. Right. You right. cannot separate yourself from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That would make you God. Hello. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so again, you know, but we put our efforts into the sinner's prayer, and then our evangelism was based on that. If we could get them to say the sinner's prayer, then they're in. Then they're in. And I can feel good because part of that is, is, is a good part because you, if you're believing that people are going to spin out an eternal conscious torment, if they don't jump through the hoop, then that's on you. And so that's also another like thing that we're taking on ourselves that that creates this sense of separation that is tormenting for people. Absolutely. So how, how do you evangelize if they're already in? And what does that even mean? I don't so know what that means. It's, it means, it means, means. it means to live the incarnation of the good news. What does that mean? Hmm. The good news that you're loved, the good news that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in you. You know, it's... It's like, doesn't mean that I've got you to get from the outside to the inside. Absolutely not. Because that's the There's good no news. There's no outside is, except in our mind, right? Uh, alienation. So the good news is you're on the inside. Yay. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are on the inside of you. Always have been from the moment of conception. Always will be. You are never going to escape the presence of God. And you can't separate yourself. You can alienate yourself. Right. You can pretend it's not real. You can't, but you know what? You're going to feel, even in the midst of your losses and your harm, you're going to be attracted to things that are beautiful. You're going to hear a voice that says, there has to be something other than this. And when, and then somebody's going to enter your life and you want, you will be willing to die for them. Like, what's that about? You know, so all of these, all of these elements are at work in your life to move you into the direction of wholeness. And, uh, it's, it's powerful. So evangelism is about living the good news yourself. And, and it's not your job to save people. I think someone has that. Jesus did that. <laughs> and, and now you get to continue to work out that salvation that was accomplished right. in Jesus. Right. And that's work. You know, that's saying, that's saying no to all my independence and saying no to all my addictions and saying, you know, learning how to embrace the truth of who I am, as opposed to all the lies that I believe. It is about doing the work of turning my face toward the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the work of confessing or telling the truth mm-hmm. and about the harm we've done and the hurt we've done and facing the consequences and then beginning to change over time. That's work. That's, that's the making of disciples, but it's not disciples to Christianity. Thank it's you. a disciples to love and uh, because love is the truth of who we are. It's just that we, we grow in acknowledging that truth. And um, so, you know, I was, and I think you've heard this story. I was with a, a young girl, high school girl who was a foreign exchange student from Indonesia who was spending time here. And she didn't know that her house, her house father, the, the family she was living with for a year, 
that the father knew me. She read the shack, changed. I mean, it really had an impact on her. And so she, um, she told him about two weeks before she was leaving to go back to Indonesia. If I had a bucket list wish, I would want to meet the author of this book. Right. So he, so he, cause she says, you know, I've grown up Buddhist. I go to temple with my grandmother every week as a Buddhist temple. My family's all Buddhist and, and, and I have some questions and, and she had become a follower of Jesus, you know, during that year. And she had a youth oh, that group. A Buddhist really, follower of Jesus. I just love it. Keep going. <laughs> well, that's, the, that's the punchline. Right? right. And, um, so it's, I, she, she told me, she said, I'm struggling with the idea that, that the youth group says they're going to be praying for me, how to, that I would take a stand now that I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm messing with my plug. So keep going. Oh, no worries. Yes, and, um, and I said, she said, she's in a dilemma. What does that mean? And I said, that was well, easy. She said, this is easy. I said, yeah, don't be a Christian. Be a Buddhist follower of Jesus. That's incredible. And, and, and she said, you're allowed to do that. And I said, yeah, I even know Christians who are followers of Jesus. <laughs> and, and it lifted the weight of the world. I said, look, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit live in you. You can always have that conversation inside, inside your imagination, inside your, your thoughts. So ask, ask Jesus or ask the Holy Spirit or ask Papa God. This Sunday, grandma's asking me to go to the temple with her. What should we do? Don't be surprised if God says, well, let's go with her. It's a good way to love her. And we're not going to be going to somewhere where I'm not. Right. It's not like it's not like I get to the edge of the temple. I'm sorry, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We can't we can't go there. If that was true, he'd never go into a church, you know, a Christian one. And um, and it's like I'm not going someplace that I'm not already, and I'm not going to be with people that I don't already dwell in. Right. So you know, and I tell people all the time, you know, be a Christian when it's helpful because sometimes it's helpful. Mm-hmm. But but be a person who expresses the life of the father, son, and Holy spirit that, you know, you're by nature made in the image and likeness of God. So the most natural thing for you to be is kind yeah. and gentle and considerate and respectful and, and pure and, patient, and noble and, yeah. and patient yeah? and, and peaceful and, you know, cons- considerate of where other people are at, mm-hmm. not self-protecting, not self-promoting. Mm. And, uh, and so, yeah, and it's, and it's back to encounter and relationship, right? Which is, which is hard for us, especially in the West where we're so um, uh, intelligent oriented, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the basis of both our fears. And we think is going to be of our certainty Mm -hmm. that, that we will, we will get enough information to be certain about our position. And that's what will give us peace. And it's like, no, you know, peace comes from a relationship in which you know you're loved and a relationship that you can trust. Even if you don't know what's going to happen, especially when you don't know what's going to happen. Right. And um, well, trust always involves, always involves unanswered questions. Right. So we, a, yeah, always involves risk. Right. 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 Is this love trustworthy? Because fear says no. 
And fear then drives you into aloneness again, separation, not real separation, but the delusion of it, alienation. Yeah. And, and you always feel alone and you always feel like you've got to come up with your own solutions to solve things. Right. And never, <laughs> it never lets you stay present where God lives with you. Wow. Right. It always into some imagination that doesn't exist. Yeah. Wow. Who? There you go. Been awesome. <laughs> and very fun. Thank you. Helps very, me. Very fun. Helps me find words. So. Oh my I goodness. We are just coveting those words of just helping and bringing life to so many people and, and challenging us and shaking us up, which is good uh, in our thinking and how we're viewing God and how we're viewing ourselves and how we're viewing other people and how we're viewing creation. And then what God is doing in the midst of the crazy that we're seeing around us and the crazy we're experiencing inside. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it, and it comes back to the simple things. Who's in front of you today? Love them. Love them. You don't, you don't need to do anything else. You don't need to figure out how the world's going to go and all this stuff. It's all fear-based stuff, you know. And uh, whatever you plan beyond today, hold it loosely because, you know, <laughs> you could die and that'll screw up your plans. Who the heck knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if you happen to find that link of that stuff, yeah, I'll send it to I'll, you. I'll include it in the notes and all that. But yeah, well, thank you, Paul. It's always welcome. Such a joy. And it is, and it's an honor for me. Yeah, and thank you for doing your little blurb in the book that I'm doing. So oh, you're welcome. It's such a an honor. So good, good book, by the way. Well, I I so appreciate that. That uh, that's not a light light thing coming from you. So I appreciate that. So, well, everybody share this with someone, share this with everybody. People need to know and we, and listen to it again. I'm going to listen to it again because it's so life-giving, but thank you, Paul, so much once again. Don't be surprised if it doesn't raise more questions than you thought you would need answers for. So that's kind of normal. (laughs) That's good. Isn't that part of it? If we, if we were able to nab it all, it'd be. Hey, I I used to know everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 15 20 years ago man i knew everything right and uh boy that's not true anymore it's such a freedom though not having to know that's the freedom not yeah. having to know yeah that's the freedom and uh because i was a perfectionist performer so you know if i didn't know i i faked that i knew or lied that i knew yeah you know, because I couldn't take the risk of not being perfect. So I know how that works. Unfortunately, yeah. but yeah, much love to better. You. Thank you yeah. so much, Paul. You're Have welcome. a wonderful, wonderful day. You as well. Bye now. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit CatherineToon.com.